From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 232. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN, Pingdom, and Hollow. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. Uh, 232, it's a palindrome. Yay. Gary wants to know for our hashtag Snell Talk question this week, mm. Jason, what is a fandom or hobby that you never never thought that you'd be into growing up that you are now a fan of? Um, I like this question a lot. I, I've been thinking about it. Um, I, I my initial thought was I was going to say um, role playing games was like D and D. Yep. But the fact is that when I was a uh, a teenager, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe slightly preteen. Like when I was like. 11, 12, 13, I was obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons and I read the books and uh, I was, you know, the monster manual and the DM guide and Mm -hmm. the player's handbook and all of that. And I never played Dungeons and Dragons. Never. Never. Didn't have, I mean, I lived in a rural area. Uh, There weren't enough kids who were interested to get a game together. There wasn't a knowledgeable person around and so it just never happened because it was hard to get to people's houses and things like that. Um, But, and I play it now. But I was interested in it then. So even though I, I have only actually played D&D like in the last five years, it was actually something I probably would have thought was something I would eventually do at least when I was 12. Uh, my answer is actually going to be beer. <laughs> That's my answer is never uh, particularly interested uh, in drinking in alcohol of any kind uh, as a uh, as a teenager or even in my early 20s. And it was only in my late 20s that I tasted a beer that was not disgusting. And that led me down a path that uh, means that now, yeah, I like to have different kinds of beer and uh, and um, like to go to microbreweries when I'm in different towns and, and stuff like that. So I, I would say that one is probably the most surprising to me because that was not a thing that I was remotely interested in until I was in my late 20s. That is interesting. Yeah, because I guess you are a microbrew fan, right? But I, I don't really ever know you to drink any other alcohol. So it's no, like it's, I, yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't drink. I don't drink uh, hard alcohol at all. Um, I will drink um, red wine. It makes my tummy hurt, but it is good. Um, and beer, and that's about my limit. I just the hard stuff doesn't. I have lots of friends who enjoy uh, mixed drinks of various kinds and are very sophisticated with their interest in mixed drinks, and it's just. Or just straight up <laughs> uh, hard alcohol, and it's just not for me. It's not. I don't like the taste of it. I don't like the smell of it. It's just that. That is. I think. I think the truth is that I never really liked the the hard stuff. And the first time I tried beer, it was really bad, bitter, awful, <laughs> uh, American mainstream lousy yeah. beer, and that turned me off of the whole thing for a long time. So I didn't drink it all until I had a, a very nice beer at twenty eight in. Uh, Denver, Colorado, at the Breckenridge Brewery. The Breckenridge. I remember the beer. It was the Breckenridge well. <laughs> Oatmeal Stout. And I said, wait, they make chocolate beer? I will try that. And uh, that, the rest is history, friends. If you would like to submit a question to open an episode of Upgrade, just send out a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk, just like Gary did. Thank you, Gary. Great question. Jason, I wanted to know, because you sent me a picture, that you mm. have bought the Clear Look Stand, which I decree is, I think, the best iPad stand available today of all the ones that I, I bought it while we were talking oh. about it two weeks ago. <laughs> so I wanted to know, uh, what do you think of it? 
I like it. Uh, I actually use this as uh, it was my pick on MacBreak Weekly last week. I was a guest on MacBreak Weekly, Very cool. and my understanding is that it may have sold out <laughs> briefly at that point because I think that a lot of people saw. It. I I like it. Um, the thing I like about it the most is that it's tall. That, mm-hmm. like you said, it goes up way taller. So if you are working in a standing position and an iPad with an external keyboard, you want to get that thing higher up and in your in your field of vision for proper ergonomics. Um, and so I like that about it. I uh, I prefer the like the look of the clamps and stuff on the look and feel on the uh, the Viazon tablet or tablet case that that one that I was the first one that I was really using because I uh, this one it's got kind of like these uh, I don't know silicone padded hinges with some uh, you know they're they're I don't know they they're they're fine. They're not bad, and they work just fine. I just I don't love how they look, uh, but I like that it's a lot taller, and and that's really good for the ergonomics. So um, I'm using it, and I've I've kind of like stashed the others away, and I, I think it's going to be my primary stand from here on out. It's good. Yeah, it's not so, attractive, right. but none of them are. And in my opinion, really, I think they all they're all just a mix of silver, aluminium, and white plastic, right? Like yeah, I kind of like that. I like the Viazon one because it looks, it makes it, because it's stealing the Apple industrial design of the iMac yeah. stand, the yeah. iMac foot. Um, and I like that about it, but it's too short, like the bottom line. And I know why it's too short, because with that stand design, any higher up with a heavy iPad and it'll topple over. This one's got a nice kind of weighted base and then it goes, uh, you know, the pole goes straight up. I have, I have some concerns about in the long run, whether... Um, you know, if I use it for a long time, if that if it's gonna hold or mm-hmm. if that thing is gonna because it's not like you kind of screw it into position. No, it's like tension you, fit, isn't it? It's yeah, and I, I I'm not sure I trust that in the long in the long haul or not. But it's it's good. It's um I like it I like it a lot. So I'm using it now. Yeah, my thinking is like I I kind of think the same. Like eventually that's gonna it's gonna start to go down like a like a cheap office chair, right? But it's thirty five dollars. So if I had to replace it every couple of years, I think I'd be fine with that. Right, like that—that's kind of my feeling on it. I mean, we're talking about a device that I replace every year anyway, so I would replace the stand if it was worth it. But yeah, yeah. I really like yeah. this thing. I think it—it's my definitely, definitely my favorite. So I'm pleased you like it too. And you're a taller person than I am mm-hmm. too, so that if you're standing and working on it, it's even—it's uh, even a bigger deal. But mm-hmm. I think even sitting, um, yeah, you can have this issue with these iPod stands where there or iPad stands where there's just two too short ipod stands looking down feel iPod like stands. A, a pointless oh endeavor. Uh, you could probably fit an ipod in there that'd be great <laughs> you probably could ipod you touch probably could mm, good that's good times good computing oh so i also want to mention some follow-up that's okay. okay with you of course the uh the uh spotify and uh they bought you know Everything. some of podcasting the yeah. podcasting industry last week they bought both in case you don't know in case people don't know they they bought both gimlet media and previous relay fm uh, advertiser anchor who are like a podcast production slash hosting uh tools Indeed. company and, and they have suggested in the press that they're not done that there are there is more this is a, yeah it's probably about half of the money that they have to spend yeah. but not necessarily half of the companies yeah, that they're going to spend um, five hundred million dollars mm-hmm. in total on podcast acquisitions, mm-hmm. and this is uh, this is about half of that. Mm-hmm. So, big story. I can also understand why uh, you and Stephen might be uh, pondering your feelings about this or reluctant to speak in public about it because you are owners of a podcast network, and 
uh, you know, it could be awkward. Yeah. You could get also, quoted or misquoted. I, I, I or... don't want to speak about it extemporaneously. And yeah. we also have had a business relationship with one of the companies that's involved. So, right. you know, I, I am, I'll say I'm intrigued. I am a healthy dose of nervous and interested, I think, is probably right. my, my top level feeling on it. Because you never know how these things are going to go. Uh, it could be really interesting. It might not be. You know, I can, and one thing that I do want to just put into perspective, I know that you've spoken about this in a couple of places as well. And yes. You can talk about those. But, like, a lot of people are saying, right, like Spotify is the second biggest um, player right now. But from all statistics that seem to be available from large data sets, whilst they are number two, they are number two by a very, 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 very big margin. Like Apple right. is significantly ahead of everybody. You know, like Libsyn, who we use as a host, they predict their, their statistics say that Apple has sixty percent of the market and Spotify has six percent of the market. Um, I reckon Spotify's pie is probably a little bit bigger than that. But one thing that's interesting about Spotify, and, and I know this uh, even from our own uh, tests, Spotify, because real FM shows are available on Spotify. You can you can get them if you want them that mm-hmm. way. Um, the audience, the type of person that listens on Spotify is significantly different. So yeah, our shows that are popular on Spotify are not necessarily our most popular shows elsewhere, but it's very mm-hmm. interesting. It's very different. So I think they are adding to the market uh, as opposed yes, to capturing that, the market. That's my gut feeling is that what, what is good about Spotify, not, and I'm not talking about these acquisitions, I'm just talking in general, good about Spotify embracing podcasting. There are a lot of good business reasons, by the way, for it. Um, ben Thompson wrote a good piece last week. I think mm-hmm. his free piece was about this, about how um, if you if you think about it, um, music, every music play, Spotify has to pay somebody um, because that's how music licensing works. And basically all music is everywhere, which means they can't do exclusives. That's not how music streaming works. Podcasts, first off, you pay to make them if they're custom and you you don't pay anything if they're just open podcasts. Every minute that a Spotify user spends playing a podcast is a minute that Spotify is not paying music royalties. So it's better per minute per user than music for them. Um, And it allows them to do exclusives. Like Gimlet is going to make Spotify exclusives. There will presumably be a bunch of Spotify exclusive content. And other they're by far not the first to do exclusive content. Everybody's done that. Mm-hmm. But it gives them some leverage to spend some money to make exclusive content to drive people into Spotify as a Spotify user. And the fact is, you know, Music basically is not, they're not playing that game. You don't have a fractured music market that's like the video streaming market where certain artists are only on certain services because in the music business, they want to be everywhere, uh, largely. Maybe there's some little exclusives, but it's nothing big. And podcasting, they can do that. So there are a lot of good business reasons, but I think ultimately, by being motivated however they are by business reasons, uh, it's good for podcasting, I think, in general, because I think they're going to be evangelizing podcasting to people who don't listen to podcasts but are comfortable with Spotify. And Spotify is a very successful company that has a lot of people who use their product, and Spotify is going to really be uh, pushing podcasting on those people. And uh, the result is going to be new podcast listeners. And I think that's good. And they won't just be listening to Spotify's podcast. They yeah. will probably be listening to other podcasts and growing the the uh, the size of the podcasting market. And I think that's good. We talked about this, since Mike is not, uh, dear listener, uh, super comfortable about talking about this right now, extemporaneously, I will say, I talked to Natalie Jarvie 
on download last week. Uh, we we are tinkering with the format over there. It was a really good episode. We yeah. If you haven't listened to download before, now could now would be a really good time to jump in because Stephen and Jason are doing some really interesting stuff. Yeah, and that was a good episode where we actually had two uh, separate guests. We're bringing on ge- guests now to talk about like areas of specific interest for them. Um, and Natalie Jarvie is the digital editor or digital reporter at The Hollywood Reporter, which means she's covering uh, the upstream segment here, basically, mm-hmm. is her beat. Um, and she was really interested in the... In the um, the Spotify news, and we talked to her about that. And then, um, of course, Marco Arment, you know, he writes a podcast app. He was an investor in Gimlet. So he has <laughs> thing, things to, to say. About it. Yeah. He, yeah. He, has, he has things to say. Uh-huh. So uh, ATP episode 312 last week also has a, a segment, an Ask ATP segment, hashtag Ask ATP segment. I wonder where mm-hmm. they got that idea about From some the handsome Spotify gentleman. Mm-hmm. That's right. It was such a good idea. Uh-huh. Um, so, so uh, people could check that out too. But, I so jumped immediately to that chapter of ATP. Yep, me to too. Listen to it. Um, yeah, I will. One last thing I will say: uh, as with a lot of stuff, people tend to just jump to a Armageddon doom and gloom scenario when when big shifts in any industry happen. I've been in the podcasting industry for nearly ten years. I've been a professional in it for five years, and. Over that period of time, I have lost count of the amount of Armageddon scenarios that podcasting has been through, and by and large, nothing bad has happened, ultimately. Like, the industry is growing, and, you know, like, for example, uh, it was Armageddon two years ago when Apple introduced their um, statistics, you know, like the analytics that they added. Because everyone was 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 gonna was sure that nobody was listening to the ads, but that just wasn't the case, right? Like it fit with about as many people as we naturally expected would listen. You'd be surprised at how few people actually do skip ads, right? So it's like we we keep going through this stuff, and the industry comes out of it, and it's mostly based on the open standard that underpins everything. I think, yeah. and uh, yeah, and, and also the people like us. And fundamentally, a big player is willing to spend half a billion dollars to invest in podcasting. That's I think that is going to ultimately be good. Yeah, I could get into this for days, but I'm not going to. But we're not going to. Of course, also as well, I don't think it's that interesting to most people. For like, for me to start yeah. talking to you about the inner workings of advertising agencies, I just don't really think anybody's that, that interested. Indeed. Should we? Should we go through some upstream headlines? It's a natural segue. Sure, let's do it. Apple has bought its first movie at Sundance. Um, It's called Hala and is a coming-of-age movie that follows a 17-year-old girl who's raised in a conservative Muslim household in the U.S. It follows her story as she develops feelings for a classmate and how this fights against her her upbringing. Um, And this movie is executive produced by Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, Pinkett Smith is the, I think, the biggest name attached to this project, mm-hmm. um, and this is Apple's first Sundance pickup, which basically means movie was taken to Sundance, which is the uh, independent, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, kind of indie movie showcase, and big companies can come in and buy the distribution rights to these projects. Right. Netflix have done it before, Amazon have done it before. This is Apple's first uh, Yeah, time. this is Apple signaling mm-hmm. that it is playing, and they, they already made their you know movie deals with some other players, but this is their signaling that they're going to be a player in buying movies, and, and it's I think it's more newsworthy, really, as Apple bought a movie at Sundance than the specifics of this particular movie. Yep. It's just, it, it is a sign 
of um, part of what Apple's doing here because this the streaming service that Apple's doing is going to have movies on it, not just TV series. Former Netflix executive Terry Wood has been hired by Oprah Winfrey's, um, Winfrey's Harpo Productions to head up their content for Apple. Um, at Netflix, Terry Wood was part of the team that worked on Jerry Seinfeld's Comedian in Cars Getting Coffee, Chelsea Handler's Chelsea, and David Letterman's My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. So she has a good set of content uh, kind of to her name. And apparently as well, she she worked for Harpo in like the 90s or something <laughs> and then left. It's gone around, come right back again. So she's going to be working on the, uh, the content for Apple. I was right. surprised to see this because I would have assumed it was in the workings already. Uh, but so we'll see what that means. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know. This is the only thing that Apple has uh, specifically announced that they're doing. But Terry Woods, <laughs> like Terry Woods history is also like she helped Dr. Phil get to air. What it sounds like, considering who she is, her history, this feels like a, a talk show coming to Apple yeah. streaming service. It does. Because the three big things that she worked on at Netflix were talk, talk shows. shows. <laughs> and yeah. she has a history of talk shows for Oprah as well. So like I I assume this is some kind of talk show which is super interesting to me to think yeah. that Apple's going to do stuff like that too, but if you're going to, Oprah's definitely the person to work with. Yeah, I um, think so. Captain Marvel will be the first Marvel film to only be streamed uh, on Disney Plus. That's where the distribution will be for this movie. So we knew from before that if you wanted to watch these things in 4K HDR digitally, it was going to be Disney Plus. And we had assumed that um, that Disney would stop doing deals with Netflix and stuff like that. Well, yes, yeah, that's going to happen. I think their Netflix deal lapsed and the current stuff that's rolling out is is it. Mm-hmm. That's it. And and it the line is drawn with the release of Captain Marvel. Uh, Disney currently makes $140 million a year in licensing of these move, types of movies. Uh, they have told their investors that they can expect to see this stop as they're winding down mm-hmm. those deals um, to plump up the subscription service. Uh, this was on during uh, Disney's earnings call that they gave him this information, along with saying, uh, Bob Iger noted, during the earnings call that every major brand that Disney owns will be creating content for the service, including Marvel, Pixar, and Lucasfilm. And of course, we can expect the same for 20th Century Fox as well uh, mm-hmm. to be producing this type of content for Disney+. Plus. It's what we expected, yeah. but they're saying it, so. And I have another interesting data point, which is a, a news that actually just broke right before we started recording today, which is a Variety reporting that Marvel is producing four animated TV series using Marvel properties aimed at adults. So these are not kids shows. These are aimed at adults, hmm. uh, including Howard the Duck and a uh, uh, Tigra and Dazzler, who are two uh, female superheroes from the um, sort of second list. I love the Dazzler. That's an, I think Tigra is Andy Anaka's favorite superhero. Um, and some other uh, Modoc series. Uh, basically, these four uh, series that are intended for adults um, for Hulu. And that is, to me, the most interesting part of this, because we've been talking about how Disney is really interested in loading content into Disney+. Plus. Uh, this is an example of Marvel, which is part of Disney, building some content for Hulu, which Disney owns when the Fox deal closes. Disney owns the majority of Hulu. They don't own all of it. NBC Universal owns some of it, and there's another they little will. bit outstanding. It's just they a matter probably, of time. They probably will. But this this is the hint of a future content strategy for Disney, because we've talked for a while about um, 
the challenges of some of the edgier content produced, especially mm-hmm. by Fox, being available on Disney Plus, which is a Disney branded service, which means it's got sort of an implication that it's not going to go above a certain family. Um, audience appropriate Mm -hmm. level it's not going to be you're not going to have hard uh you know ma kind of content on there um so where does that go and the assumption has been that it will probably just go on hulu since that's a a place that already has a lot of that content there's already marvel content on hulu and and that's what makes it different from from netflix where the netflix marvel relationship seems to have been severed because of the other stuff disney's doing here we have an example of new products in development for hulu so i think it does signal that disney is going to be channeling a lot of their stuff onto hulu as well as disney plus all right today's episode of upgrade is brought to you in part by hello hello make insanely comfortable wonderful buckwheat pillows They are very different to the regular pillow that you may be used to. Buckwheat pillows from Hollo, they support your neck and head in a brand new way. It's so comfortable. They're like, the way I kind of think of it, the easiest way I can describe it, is it's kind of like a really nice beanbag for your head. Um, They're not fluffy pillows. Buckwheat pillows, they're like these little buckwheat hulls. It's like a big bag that is filled up. And what I like about it as well, you can actually remove and add to the filling really easily. So you can adjust the pillow to the right kind of kind of density that you want um buckwheat pillows stay cool and dry compared to feather or foam pillows because air can flow through them so also you don't have to flip to the cool side of the pillow because the pillow is always cool because air can flow through really easily um these types of pillows are very popular in japan and have been for many years it's very popular in my household i have been using a hollow pillows since like june of last year and i absolutely adore it i'm never going back i love I find it very comfortable. It's very different. You have to get used to it. But the support that I get from my hollow pillow is unlike any other pillow that I've used before. Like when I travel now, I definitely feel it. Fluffy, soft pillows don't do it for me anymore. I am all about this hollow pillow. And I think that you will be too. And you can get a trial. They do a 60-night trial that you can sleep on. If it isn't right, you can just send it back to them and get a full refund. Hollow pillows are made in the USA with quality construction and materials. The certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability. And the buckwheat is grown and milled in the US as well. So you can get that 60-night trial by going to hollowpillow.com slash upgrade right now to get your own buckwheat pillow. That's H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W dot com slash upgrade. Um, so you can get it for 60 nights. And if it isn't right, you can just send it back for a refund if it's not for you. If you buy more than one Pillow, when you go to holopillow.com slash upgrade, they have a discount of up to $20 off depending on which size you opt for. They have fast free shipping with every order and they, they give 1% of all profits to the Nature Conservancy as well to donate those. So give it a try. If you love it, you keep it. If you don't, just send it back. Our thanks to Hollow for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Jason, last week we spoke about <laughs> the um, Mark Gurman report at Bloomberg uh, detailing iOS 13. And one of the things that was mentioned uh, in that report, which was written by uh, Mark Gurman and Debbie Wu, was the idea of the iPad getting a home screen refresh. Um, so we were kind of, I think that the time, and, and I still, I think we both struggle to really think like, what is this going to look like in its entirety? Um, but I know you've been spending some time thinking about it in a bit more detail and you wrote uh, an article over at Macworld and I wanted to go through the things that you discussed because I think we could maybe try and unpack them a little bit more. 
Yeah, this is one of those, I mean, taking one little fragment out of this story where everybody's like, oh, iPhones for the future, iPhones in 2020. And I'm like, iPad home screen, eh? That's the most interesting thing to me. Is I was like, ah, I would love a new home screen on my iPad. Like, I would like it to do more. Um, And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we've got here. So if you look at the, I mean, what have we've had? It's been around for like eight, nine years at this point. Nine years, I think it just, the iPad just saw its birthday. And in that entire time, the home screen has been exactly the same, just a very, very stretched out version of the iPhone, right? You can get more app icons on it. They rotate in a weird way, and it's just more space in between. It really has always felt, it's always felt kind of strange. I I honestly think that, you know, the, 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 People used to say back in the day, it's just like a big iPhone. It was purely because of the way the home screen looked, I think. It's like, oh, well, it looks like just a stretched out iPhone. It's very strange. Yes. And it feels like wasted space. And we and a lot of us were like, oh, well, surely that's temporary. Surely mm-hmm. they will figure out a, a, a new approach to that. And then, you know, nine years pass. And you may think to yourself, hang on, didn't wasn't we talking about this last year? Maybe, because the rumor was this was going to happen last year. Kind of around this time of the year, I think, that, that was when the rumor was iOS 12 was going to see a refreshed home screen for the iPad, um, and th- as well as some other iPad Pro features. And then there was the whole secondary news story that broke that Apple was putting everything on hold to focus on performance and stability, which pushed off a lot of the iPad functions to this year. So... I'm hoping that not only do we see them, that they're really good because they've had more time to work on them than they expected. I think that's fair, right? Like, I can just say that. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that ends up going. Um, but you, you've you've touched on a few things, and the icons is one of them. So what you've referred to as higher density for your uh, interface on the, on the apps, of the apps. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, so how do you quantify it? I, I think... When I look at the home screen, the first thing I think of is it's it's spaced out. It's it is the iPhone screen just kind of stretched out, and it's a low density interface. There's not a lot there. You just got a grid of icons, and I feel like any redesign of the iPad home screen needs to have at least the ability to put more information on it in general. Now, you know, I my gut feeling is that the right way to do this is to provide a widget somewhere that provides a list of all the apps in alphabetical order, kind of like you can do on the Apple Watch or on Android, quite frankly. And then the home screen is a place where you put apps that you care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and and right now, every app you install has to be somewhere on the home screen. So we, we added folders at some point. Um, yes, you could have the icons be closer together, but I feel like there needs to be something probably more conceptually here. I like the idea of, of divorcing your list of installed apps from where you what you put on your screen and you know ideally where you put them that you would be able to maybe freeform it a little bit more than is currently available where you're going you know from top top left to bottom right in rows yeah it stops to stop snapping to a grid like let me put them wherever i want yeah or maybe it's a grid but it's a it's a pretty tight grid Mm -hmm. and uh you can put it anywhere on the grid instead of just in that you know scrolling like a piece of text in a in a like a typewriter you know basically Mm -hmm. is what what it is right now um and that's that's not great so i i I like the idea of having uh, the ability to get to a master list um, whether that's via sort of like the spotlight window or whether there's a button, you know, some sort of icon. You, you could, could put, put it on, on the dock. Like all the apps. That's where you could you put, put it on the like dock. That. There's mm-hmm. lot, lots of places you could put it. Um, but I don't think it needs to be, I, I don't think every app needs to be on the home screen. 
one thing that I would like to have here, I mean, I don't really know what multitasking is going to look like, but uh, the ability to, to have app pairs tied together in, in a little button I can press. This is something that we spoke about all, right. all the way back with iOS 11, right? Like, the, Wouldn't it be nice if we could just press a button and I could have Google Docs and Google Sheets just open up? Next to each other. Yeah, imagine the ability to save a view mm-hmm. of apps, uh, or depending on how they do it, I mean, if it's a tab interface, which is one of the rumors, like basically say, save this workspace like as a, a oh, as gosh. an icon. Like I just imagined, like I would have a little upgrade icon on my iPad, and I would tap it, and it would open like the the exact Google Notes document that I want, the exact Google Sheet that I want, and my Apple Notes. Right, like yeah. they're all there because I've got all the tabs because I can save them all out individually, right? Because they're all mm-hmm. these. That's how you end up with multiple instances of applications because they're broken down into these tabs because tabs are instances, that kind of thing. I would love. Oh my gosh, I would love right? that. I mean, there's this is not easy stuff. This is we're we're spitballing about this, but this is the sort of thing where you know if you're a uh, an interface designer at Apple, you've been sweating this probably mm-hmm. for years now about how to get this right. Um, but it is something that that I think leads to examples like what you said, which is, uh, and Microsoft has been experimenting with some of this stuff in Windows. It's the idea that you can mix and match um, different apps in in a tab group or in a even in a side-by-side kind of interface group. And then if you have the ability to save that as a, as a setting so that you can launch into that view whenever you want, that's, uh, that's really interesting, yeah, right? Like so that's, that's definitely has gotten possible. me close to the type of thing that I want. Right where I can, I have a shortcut that I can tap, and it, it asks me what show I'm doing, and it will set a timer for when I'm preparing for the show, and then it opens the Google Doc that I want. But what I really want to do is tell shortcuts to open two apps at once, and then I would be set. Right, so like then again, like imagining all of that tying in together, and then just adding that shortcut to the home screen would be perfect because then I could like could put turn music on if I wanted, you know, like to, to like to have in the background and I could set all of my toggle timers and all that kind of stuff. Like that's what I really want. And I feel like we're getting, I do feel like we're getting closer to that world. Um, and whilst I have been struggling to conceive of what a tabbed interface means, I think like that that wording is just, it's very misleading and and I think it does make a lot more sense to me if you if you assume that if you just replace the word instance with tab, I think it starts to make a lot more sense to me that like you end up with just everything is treated as a more like a document than it is an application, right? So like you you end up treating the Google Drive document like a Google Drive document as opposed to something that only lives inside of the siloed version of the Google Docs app, which could then, for all we know. I'm just talking now. I can't stop it. Mm-hmm. That could be what the um, the improvements to file management could also mean, right? That like, yes, like Google Drive. If you downloaded the Google Drive app on your Mac, it treats everything as if it's a document, but they're actually just the Google Drive web pages, right? They're not actually documents, but they look like they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that there is precedent for something like this. I would love to see that. Like that would be. Perfect for me. Like, you know, well, be there's. Very you already have file manager plugins. You could have it be that apps could present their documents as uh, to the system as documents. Mm-hmm. I'm hesitant to. What I'm not trying to say here is I want to. I want the Finder, right? 
because I don't want the finder. No. Um, I want, and this is what you and I, when we went back and forth about the idea of Windows on iOS, and you're like, hmm. I don't want Windows. I want something that lets me work with different documents at once, but that it doesn't have to be Windows. In fact, the Windows is a very Windows is a very, you know, 80s metaphor that we're still living with and that a mo- what would be the modern take on that, you know, it's tiled interface or something like mm-hmm. that. This is like that, which is I don't want the Finder, but uh, and I don't want to break the app-centric nature of iOS completely because it is, I think, important that iOS is app-centric, that iOS's home is a list of apps, whereas the macOS's home is a list of files. I think one of the things that makes iOS um, more comfortable for a lot of users is that they're not opening Windows and managing files uh, there's a files app now, but it's a, a separate app and it's not the core part of the experience. That said, I feel like a redesigned home screen probably should take files and file systems into account to a certain degree. Um, you know, maybe it's just integrations that lead you ultimately to the files app, or maybe the files app becomes less relevant because you can put your Dropbox you know, and and you, yeah, you can put your Dropbox app there now, but the idea of putting like your Dropbox or your shared folder or your iCloud and being able to um, get into it and manipulate it and and have it be all sort of happening where you're or putting shortcuts to things or putting the files themselves, if that's the metaphor, but having views into into your files as well as into your apps in this screen. And I'm being very vague here because I'm not trying to say this is how they should do it. I just I, I just get this feeling that. Um, if you've got the file access needs to be better and Mark Gurman d- does say they're working on a bunch of file improvements as well and I just feel like these have to work together and you know that if I am document centric in some way if I do have a document or a folder of documents that I, I live in having that be part of the home screen experience is probably a good idea in some way and beyond that I, I, I can't say but it just it, it struck me that um Files could be files were not part of the conception of the original springboard, right? No. And if we're revisiting it for today and for iOS and especially for the iPad Pro, that I think you need to take into account the fact that files are part of iOS now. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think that the idea here is that you completely fundamentally change what iOS is about, like to make it like the Mac, which is more file-based than app-based, right? Like just kind of like fundamentally with the way that user behavior has been trained. But I think that if you are trying to position the iPad Pro, especially as you say, as a professional piece of equipment, the ability to make that choice is important, right? That if you are a file-first thinking person working across multiple applications, that you should be able to have a little bit more of that flexibility, which 100% started with files, right? Like it 100% started there. And my hope now is that files and everything that Apple has done to kind of make people think more in the files way, like you know how you open some applications and you're actually just taken to files now as like the way that they launch, right? Like that is becoming more and more of a thing, which Apple is Yeah, every time I launch numbers, Mm -hmm. numbers on iOS and it just basically says, okay, here's your iCloud drive. Like it is literally the files interface inside numbers because they know that you want to open a file. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) So, you know, the jig is up there. And also like that recent documents thing, which never really took off because it's a super awkward gesture to, to like where you kind of have to like, 
long tap but not ju- not too long to bring up that little yeah. pop-up on the app icon. The, the little, little so pop-up. My hope would be stuff like that was like laying the seeds for a more file-based version or a more file-based option for iOS, which I think would mm-hmm. be would be really cool um, yeah. as and a way I, to kind again, of push it forward. And I want to reiterate that um, what I'm not saying is that I want Apple to go down a route where everything has to be dense and there have to be files. I want there to... I would like it so that if you are just using your iPad, you've bought the low-end iPad and you just want a couple of apps and to watch, you know, videos and stuff. Yep. That it should be just it as should easy. be easy to make it simple and low density and not do all the rest of this stuff. That's the flip side of this is that if you have the ability to load the information onto these screens or this screen uh depending, uh that you should also be able to unload it and probably that's the default is something more simple and then people who want more complexity can add it. But right now we can't add it. So it's uh, like that's, how that's part of my hope. I feel like many people I've I've heard complain that like I, I the iPad's multitasking is too complicated for like someone to just stumble upon, but I actually think that this is a it's can a be a good thing because if you just want to use your iPad like an iPad, like you open the Netflix app or you open the Safari and that's it, then none of the none of that multitasking stuff gets in your way, and I actually think it's kind of amazing how they built this complex like featured multitasking system which is you know compared to the original iPad idea does a ton of stuff but if you don't want it it never bothers you you can just keep using your iPad like the consumption device that they used to be right and and I find that kind of amazing and I hope that they're able to continue pushing the idea forward so that you because you know if they're going to keep putting the same version of iOS on the entire iPad line, especially with the rumors of more, like the iPad mini coming back again or whatever, um, that you've got to be able to kind of run these two things in parallel for the pro user and the cons- and the regular user, the, kind of the more just like consumption user. So uh, that'd be interesting. Today View Widgets is another one. This seems like the easy one, right? It's a no-brainer, right? Yeah, because it's like you've already got them. They already exist. So... You know, this is they've been put into other places of iOS already. They're incredibly capable. Yeah. And, uh, right, like people who haven't tried some of the modern Today View widgets, like they're interactive. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, you can, James Thompson's got, like, you can calculate in PCALC in the widget. Uh, if you do shortcuts, you can put like, questions in there like when i uh post a podcast on six colors that i'm on like uh, uh, like this episode of upgrade i actually often do that from my phone i literally swipe to the today view uh, with shortcuts and i run the shortcut from there and that's it that's all i do and it does it all in the uh in in the the widget and ask me which podcast and i tap and it goes great and then it goes and it does it um really powerful but they're in this separate view that's walled off you have to swipe from the first page of the screen or you have to go up to notification center and swipe over it is um, not where your other stuff is and i think that makes it out of sight and out of mind and i think the best place for these widgets that are now so powerful would be to let you put them on the home screen proper so mm-hmm. that because I, I want i want one place i want my home screen to be a home screen not an app launcher i want it to be where the most important stuff on my device lives 
and I want to be able to see it all at a glance. And no, yeah, I and mean, this can be overstated because uh, people have been talking about like Android has the ability to drop widgets on the home screen, and yep. having used Android a little bit. Um, that gets overhyped because they're big. They take up a lot of space on the home screen. A lot of them don't impart very much information. You might end up with one or two or maybe one on a page and one on another page. Uh, I've had as more screen real estate, so it's more relevant there. But like, I don't want to overhype it, but there is something to be said for being able to say, this widget is really useful. It's part of my universe, this file, this widget, and these apps, and I want them all in one place, not in separate places because it's you know it's less brain power required if i can see it all at once instead of having to sort of chase it around and i don't like that idea too that when i'm in the the widget view i can't see anything else um i'm i'm out of my apps and i'm out of my home screen i don't like that either yeah, so and also that that part of the ui on on the ipad is is not good it like just yeah. is that single column right in the middle it really yeah. does feel at this point that it's like it's not supposed to be there and everybody knows it, but they just have mm-hmm. yet to integrate into the home yeah. screen. You know, this, this is one of those things where we're going to look back and be like, aha, now, you know, they, they invested all of this effort in making these widgets great. And now they're bringing them out and putting them front and center. And I hope that's the case. It's like, I use a lot of these widgets every day. Like I use shortcuts. I use widgets for my time tracking. I use widgets for my calendar and Todoist and for time zones. I use those, like these five widgets multiple times a day every single day i would prefer them to just be on the home screen like they're just there it's always it's so i just it's always one tap away as opposed to two and then i have to kind of wait for it to load a little bit like i would just like them to all be integrated because this is stuff that i'm using all the time and i would like to just have better access to it integrated more with the operating system than it currently is i think it would be awesome i would love it i think it'd be really great and i feel like it would boost the usefulness of them in general because it would give a new new lease of life to these widgets even though as, as you said they're being advanced and are getting better and better over time and part of this came i think from there was a version of ios i don't remember which one which added them on the iphone to 3d touch like if you 3d touch an icon and it has uh that app has a widget it loads there um, so just as like another way to show you that information i think that that helped even further to push the development of them but it could be more. And yeah. the last the last thing that I wanted to touch on that you mentioned in your article was basically a menu bar, but for the iPad. Now, the idea there is that the status bar is just very small. Uh, it's that simple. It's like the status bar is designed for the iPhone, which has mm-hmm. a small screen, and it's just that little bit of information up there. And um, the iPad's got a bigger screen, right? Like on a 13-inch or 11 inch or 12 inch MacBook, you have the whole menu bar. Whereas the iPad has this little tiny sliver. And I, I, I keep thinking you could put more up there, whether it's a menu bar or whether it's a status bar that's a little bit heftier. It's got more uh, bigger icons that are easier to tap. Maybe, you know, maybe you're pulling down notification center or control center from the, from the status bar rather than sort of from the invisible space above the status bar. And you can see status at a glance or maybe tap on different icons. I don't know, again, the details of this. It was just a thought that occurred to me. I am not an interface designer. The thought occurred to me that um, there's no reason for the status bar to be so limited and, uh, and small other than the compatibility with the iPhone. And if 
they're building a new home screen design for iPad, that's one of those assumptions that they can throw away. Most definitely. Um, I would love to see the ability to be able to just, I don't know, <laughs> again, can't help myself, but put a shortcut up there. Let's put shortcuts everywhere. You know, like you just add a couple in. That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? You just tap them from wherever you are in the system. doesn't do, oh, man. I just want to shortcuts all over the place. Just like can't even move for tripping over them. So the iPad, please give us give us some. Just give us some. That's what we ask for. I, I, I'm not greedy, right? Don't want everything. Some of this stuff would be really lovely. And we're only a few months away, I think, from finding out, right? Just a few months away. Yeah, can't wait. Should we take a break, Jason? Yes, good idea. All right, today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom, the company who make website performance monitoring super easy. Everybody loves a fast website, and Pingdom are helping to keep your favorite sites online. Companies like Amazon and Netflix and Spotify and Slack and RelayFM, all of those companies use Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring because websites... They are very complicated, but with Pingdom, you can monitor any type of site interaction. Stuff like logins and checkouts and user registrations, Pingdom can monitor all of these things independently as well as just seeing if your website is up or down. And if any disaster strikes, if any problem happens, they can alert you and you can also customize how you want to be alerted depending on the type of outage. It's super smart, super clever, and it gives you that peace of mind. All Pingdom needs is the URL that you want to monitor and they take care of everything else. Go to Pingdom Kingdom.com slash RelayFM right now, and you can get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Just sign up. When you sign up, use the code UPGRADE, and you will get 30% off your first invoice. So that is Pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial, and the code UPGRADE at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their continued support of this show and RelayFM. So last week, last Tuesday, um, it was announced that Angela Arantz is leaving Apple in April and Deirdre O'Brien will be taking her place. Uh, Deirdre will now be adding retail to her existing role as SVP of People. Um, I wanted to know what you think about this, Jason, especially now that we've had about, about a week to kind of think about it and to hear opinions and to hear reactions. The reaction, I think, overall was surprising to me i think people seem to be more down on angela arons than i was expecting like i feel like there wasn't a lot of like particular displeasure in her until it was announced that she was leaving apple and then everyone was talking about all of the things that they don't like so i wonder what your thoughts were because i don't really well, in public space, uh, I know that listeners of the Secret Podcast, may, there were six colors subscribers, may have gotten a bit of this, but I haven't seen you talk Maybe. about it too much yet. Yeah, I, I think the problem here is that it is, I mean, last week on Connected, Federico put it perfectly, which is, it's a Rorschach test. It is, it says as much, and I, I am writing a piece about this, but I just, it has been hard to kind of put it all together. Um but I think that Federico is right. People put their own experiences with the Apple retail store, positively or negative, and their feelings about Apple in general. And they put it all together and they kind of use it as uh, to judge Angela Arantz. And, you know, people are funny like that. <laughs> um, it's just like anything, you know, a, a, an, air, an, an airline wrongs you. 
and you're like, I'm never flying them again. Yeah, they're the worst airline. The other other airlines are also bad. Or a hard drive dies, and you're like, I'm never buying a Western digital hard drive again. It's like, well, all of the hard drives fail. Um, Somebody else is doing the same thing about Seagate. That's just, people are funny that way. And if you have a bad experience in an Apple store, um, and then the head of Apple stores leaves, you're like, aha, take that. (laughs) Victory for us. You have been defeated. But... um, I think the reality is just super complex. First off, I think last year was almost a lost year in Apple retail for the sole reason of the battery upgrade thing, the the battery replacement thing. All of the people I've talked to who worked in Apple retail have said it was a nightmare because they weren't staffed to handle the enormous flood of uh, battery replacements that were going on. And from a, a customer perspective, it was really frustrating because they were standing around the Apple store forever or told to come back uh, in order to get their iPhone battery replaced. So it was bad. Um, it was bad on all counts. Uh, and I think that uh, I think that's not a simple story because I think it's a corporate Apple making a PR decision that ended up having this huge ripple, ripple into retail. And then retail was responsible for making it work. And you know, I uh, short of inventing a new way or more machines or whatever, or or hiring more staff to do battery replacements, um, but it, that's a hard one. And so service suffered, and inter- and people's happiness with getting that battery replacement were tempered with long lines or long waits or frustration where they'd go in and they'd have to leave or come back later or something like that. So I, I think it was a tough year on that front. Um, I think Angela Arendt suffers from being perceived as being an outsider because she comes from fashion Mm. and not from technology. Um, And I think that that hurts her. Um, I don't think... I haven't sensed a lot of sexism in the criticism of her. I feel more like I'm getting the vibe of people who care about tech. And and now that she's leaving, they feel comfortable saying she was never one of us after all. I think I'm getting that vibe more. Yeah, um, but that, I, I, you've nailed it. Like, I couldn't work out what it was because it didn't feel like, I don't know, right? Like, and, and uh, me and you are not necessarily the right person to 100% judge this. Um, but it didn't necessarily feel like people were attacking her because she was a woman because no, i feel no, like i, I didn't I see a lot anyway. of that in the yeah. in the first place um and and if anything was in at least in our part of the community was really strongly welcomed because she was a woman on the apple executive team right like that was a great thing to see uh, but it, it does feel more like, and, and I'm, I'm really pleased that you vocalized this because I couldn't get, I, I haven't been able to get my head around it. But it feels more like, oh, you are you are fashion, you're not tech. Yeah, you you weren't really one of us. Mm-hmm. You didn't really get Apple. You and I think the it. truth is that she was hired specifically because of who she was yep. by Tim Cook, and what what who also hired the 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 guy from. Uh, Browett from the uh, bad UK uh, tech chain, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a bad cultural fit. It was Tim Cook's first big hire, and it was a bad one. And they had to they had to cut the <laughs> cut that guy out and get rid of him. And then they brought in Angela, hired who was a CEO, right? So they bring in her uh, to do this. She was a CEO at Burberry, but they're, but like running Apple retail, you know. And I I've had people say, well, yeah, but Apple's huge, and they paid her a lot of money. I said, well, yeah, but she's also not the CEO anymore, and that is a big step to not. F- career-wise too to go to a bigger place but to take yep. a, a, a lesser you've role been the boss it's hard to go back right but mm-hmm. she did it and and i believe firmly that she did this is my simple line here my tldr about angela aaron's tenure which is i think she did exactly what she was hired to do 
I think now we can debate what she was hired to do, but I don't think she came in and said, okay, well, now that I'm here, this is what I'm going to do. I think that the conversation that she had with Tim Cook was very much um, use your, you know, use your fashion industry knowledge. We need a refresh here. We've got a demoralized retail chain that had this, this, you know, bad hire in charge of it. We we are expanding. We need to rethink our flagship stores. The Apple Watch is coming and it's going to have a fashion element, which kind of went away, right? So there's, I think there's an aspect of that. I think ultimately um, she did what uh, what they wanted. She turned over the Today at Apple program. They have a whole new curriculum. That doesn't get widely talked about, but they basically have a whole new curriculum of classes across all the ap- Apple retail stores. Um, there's a question about why Apple is putting so much effort into classes at Apple Retail instead of selling products and doing support. Um, that is a philosophical thing that clearly Angela Arents and uh, other people at Apple feel like that's part of the retail experience at Apple is, is yeah. like she said, we're a town square and everybody made fun of her. But, uh, but the idea that it is a third place, it is not home or work, but it is another place you go like a Starbucks or a library or something. You go to the Apple store and you hang out and you learn things that may be fantasy, um, but that is definitely seems to be a fantasy that Apple has had. Yeah, it feels um, like a very um, Tim Cook's Apple thing, like not just an Angela thing. Like Tim has put a lot of time into general curriculum, which is put into schools, and like yeah. this this kind of like edu- technology education. Like even within Apple, right? Like Apple University is a thing. So yeah, Apple's Apple wants to be seen. As more than just a seller of tech products. I think it's important to the people at Apple and is, you know, it's kind of an ego trip on one level where it's like we we don't want to just be seen as as a purveyor of of software and hardware. We want to be seen as something greater. Like a force for good, right? Yeah, it's part of their brand image. It's part. It's just and, and again, you can judge that accordingly, but I do think it's a thing that they feel about it. Um her leaving you know nobody's except the people involved know for sure my gut feeling is that she was doing what she was brought in to do and that sometime in the last few years what apple and tim cook want out of retail and maybe want out of the larger corporate strategy is not what she was brought in to do and I think it's a perfectly reasonable place to land. It may not be true. We don't know. But a perfectly reasonable place to land is that Apple's been recalibrating its strategy. The um, iPhone sales flattening is probably part of it. Uh, realizing that fashion is not really the primary goal of the Apple Watch might be part of it. Um, because that was a skill that she, she had and is not being able to put to use as much. Um, and then they end up in, in a point where... She's been there five years. Presumably, she's got a lot of stock that's vested. Um, they feel like they want to take the stores in a new direction. It's not really the direction she was brought in to do, and it's not a direction she's maybe thrilled about. And both sides are like, this is a good stepping off point. She's also mentioned she her kids live in London. Uh, they're a little bit older, but she misses them. And she's been, you know, she had to move back to, to uh, the US and uh, and be in California, which is, as you know, far away from london so i i think i think it's a complex story with some complex reasons that it's happening but i do believe that um that apple is doing some rethinking about retail i have definitely heard that maximizing 
iPhone sales <laughs> is on the agenda for Apple retail now in sure. a way it wasn't before. And that's not surprising, right? Because of the shortfall that they had last quarter. So I, I, I would not be surprised if what we see over the next couple of years in Apple retail is a re-emphasis on sales and support and a maybe a little de-emphasis on um, trees and classes and things like that. Um, but I don't know. That's just a that's just a guess. So who is Deirdre O'Brien? I feel like I didn't really know a lot about Deirdre O'Brien, uh, but I saw a tweet from Ryan Jones uh, came by my radar a couple of days ago that kind of gives a brief overview of her time at Apple. She's been with Apple for thirty years. She was responsible for launching and was was responsible in the efforts of launching the original Apple Store and the original online store. She worked in product launches for 20 years. She was the VP of operations, and she became the VP of people, which is effectively human resources, uh, 18 months ago. So, I mean, I knew that she'd been in Apple for uh, Apple for a long time, but I wasn't that familiar with her path. But it feels like a path that makes sense for why they've given the role to her as someone who can do things in this role. And the operation stuff seems really interesting to me. Because it's like, I mean, and I don't know if this is the case, but like, maybe, you know that like the adage of like, uh, when you're you're a hammer, everything you see is a nail. (laughs) When you're an operations guy, everything, every problem is an operations problem to fix. And maybe, maybe Tim is like, well, I know that Deirdre knows how to do ops and maybe she can help us fix the Apple store, the, the sales issue. Uh, if you know if if retail covers the online store, which we believe it does, as well as the apples like the the physical stores, maybe this is why, right? Like we have a problem. Maybe Deirdre can help us fix it in the time that it will, might take for us to find somebody more permanent. I I don't believe that the merging of people and retail is a permanent solution. Is a permanent thing. Yeah. It feels to me like they didn't want to replace Angela right now with a new hire, Mm -hmm. right? So they go to Deirdre O'Brien and they say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to add, you know, most of our employees are are retail employees anyway, and you're in charge of people. Um, Why don't you take this too? And presumably all of Angela Arantz's people are reporting to Deirdre O'Brien. So in some ways it's um, Angela is leaving, but we want you, we want to, you know, keep this going and not stop and search for a new leader. Yeah. In the long run, they may, they may get a new leader. Well, they may get a new people person, right? Like they may, it's unknown what part of the organization would stay with Deirdre. Like it depends, right? But Right. And, and there may be that there's just no clear successor to Angela Arendt's at the, at the next level down in retail right now. Mm-hmm. And that who knows, maybe it is Deirdre O'Brien's job to, to do that job. Maybe it's her job to find the successor and identify them. Um, unclear, but there are a lot of, a lot of different options potentially going on there. Um, I, I would imagine that part of this is also going to be, um, and, and again, it's so easy to look at uh, people changes and say, well, this is when the policy changed. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I've heard a lot of people complain about Angela Arendt and say, I, I I hate that there are no registers and that the Genius Bar top is gone and you know all these things that predate her. 
Like they were doing weird things with lines and not having lines in the Ron Johnson era. Like that was not a, an invention. There's lots of things that she gets accused of that are. It's it's a little a little far, apologies for this uh, political sidebar, but it'll be very brief. Which is, I find that a lot of people blame Obama for policies that actually came from his predecessors. It's like. Um, you know, it's very easy to 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 blame the last guy <laughs> for mm-hmm. everything that's ever happened in history, but it's not always true. And I think in Angela Aaron's case, she gets uh, you know some of the weirdness. And I agree. Like I hope Apple is looking. And again, my sources within Apple retail, and they know who they are. Um, <laughs> they are uh, they're out there. Um, uh, and I, I I do I I know people who work in Apple retail. I talk to them occasionally. And and my impression is that like they're well aware of the issues with. You make an appointment and it takes too long, or they shuffle you off to a bench and you sit there for a while. They are well aware of walking into a store and feeling like you don't know where to go. They, I've noticed in the last year that they put more of those people at the door, those door, you know, maitre d' type people who are like, hello and welcome and what would you like? Ah, yes, go over there or go over there or I will call a person for you um, in order to uh, make that better. So I think they're aware um, so I, I also would caution against saying, well, aha, now that Angela Arons is leaving, everything is going to be different because I don't think that's true. I think that um, there may be some changes in the works, uh, but I, unless she really was legitimately an impediment to Tim Cook doing or other people at Apple doing what they want with the retail store. Um, and she was told do this or get out. And she said, I get out or, or, you know, <laughs> you can't fire me. I quit. Uh, which I don't know. My gut feeling is that that's not what it was, but I don't know. So, so we'll have to see, but I'd imagine that if the Apple store is changing, uh, Angela Aaron's leaving may be a symptom of the Apple store making changes and not, uh, the reason that the changes are happening. So it's it is at least interesting, right? In the sense of like, well, that was a surprise. <laughs> it did really seem like it came out of nowhere. There were a lot of, I mean, who knows, right? But I feel like that there may have been a lot of wheels in motion. And as you say, this iPhone thing really took Apple by surprise. And it may have been a case that like part two of a 12-part plan to try and improve iPhone sales includes a complete overhaul of some of the retail initiatives and yeah. maybe it just meant that it didn't it just didn't fit anymore and then it wasn't something that everybody wanted to do what I don't like is the idea that iPhone sales uh, are flat because of very big global reasons and some and you lash out this is a little like me saying if you think a recession's coming in your Apple what you don't do is lay off people in order mm-hmm. to prove that you care that, that you're worried even though you should really be hiring people it's a little like that which is you are you are probably making a giant tactical mistake if you completely try to transform your retail operations in order to goose iPhone sales a little bit when there are huge global reasons why iPhone sales and and, and uh, category reasons, right? Market reasons why iPhone sales are what they are. And it probably isn't underperformance in the stores. But that said, I do think that maybe when Angela Arons was hired, Apple felt like the purpose of the retail store was as much brand extension as it was uh, a, a revenue generator. Because they made, you know, at that point, they were already, I think, number one in sales per square feet in retail. Mm-hmm. Like they were already a huge success in terms of retail. And so you're like, we're, we're already making money hand over fist in retail. We also want it to be a brand extension. This is what we can do. And that now, five years later, maybe the feeling is, mm, 
no, you know, actually sales are, are, are really more important to us than we were saying, and we aren't going to take them for granted like we were taking them for granted five years ago. And that I think that, that that's realistic. I just don't want it to be uh, panic about iPhone sales in one quarter uh, because that would be the wrong move to make. And it's not the move that I, right. I and, hope And it's making. like if you imagine that they sat down and they were like, all right, we have these initiatives and we believe these initiatives will either stabilize or increase iPhone sales in the stores. And it's about kind of let's go community first and it turns out that that doesn't work right and like oh it hasn't helped and at the same time things are going in a place that we don't want maybe we need to start to shift some of this strategy or add a new strategy that doesn't meet with the kind of the goals and objectives of our current retail leader so it's less about her and more about well this stuff's happened this plan didn't work in the way that we exactly expected or you know the situation has changed then it may mean that it's combined with a bunch of other factors just time for angela to move on maybe yeah. maybe maybe or maybe it's all doom and gloom jason and we me and you are just far too optimistic well there's no way to know that's the real chance here and that that gets back to what i said at the very beginning of this segment which is in the end you can put whatever you whatever narrative you want on this because the information that we've got is very limited. And so I, I feel like our approach to this and trying to make guesses about it is pretty good. But in the end, we don't know. Only Tim Cook and Angela Ahrens maybe know for sure. Maybe we'll find out in 25 years. There'll be a book. Maybe. The great yeah. tell-all book. Maybe. Maybe. Let's do some hashtag ask up great questions. But before we do, let's thank our final sponsor for this episode, and that is ExpressVPN. Data. Data is being sold at an alarming rate. There is no, you can't get away from it now. Online security breaches. Data stuff going all over the place. Data is an economy these days, and what that means is there are companies that want to get your data. And unfortunately, there are companies that want to get your data in nefarious ways. You know, Sending something as simple as an email these days can put your information at risk depending on what websites you're using and what networks you're connected to. There are strong chances that you're being tracked by social media websites or marketing companies or even your internet providers today. And not only can they record your browsing history, they can also try and sell it to the people that want to profit from that information. Take back your privacy of ExpressVPN. It works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing, encrypting your data, and hiding your public IP address. ExpressVPN is super easy to use. You just turn it on with a click, and the easy-to-use apps run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, and your tablet, and it costs less than $7 a month. ExpressVPN comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and you want to keep the bad guys away from your data, you need ExpressVPN. I have been using ExpressVPN religiously now when I'm away from home. Like, it's just become something that I do. Like, when I'm going to connect to a Wi-Fi network, like we were just away this weekend, staying in a hotel, when I was in the settings to connect to the Wi-Fi network of the hotel, the button is, like, you can just switch it right on in settings, right? You just... VPN is on and then ExpressVPN connects and I feel protected. And that I, I like that peace of mind now that when I'm connected to Wi-Fi networks that I can't trust, I have ExpressVPN there on all my devices to help me. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by Tech Radar, and you can protect your online activity today by going to expressvpn.com slash upgrade. If you don't want your online history in the hands of internet providers or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. Just by going to ExpressVPN.com slash upgrade, you can get three months free with a one-year package. 
Once again, that is expressvpn.com slash upgrade for three extra months free with a one-year package. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and Relay FM. Hashtag Ask Upgrade Time. David wants to know, do you think there's room for a streaming service version of audiobooks? I'm surprised that Amazon or Audible haven't tried such a thing as part of Prime. When I read this question, I was like, oh yeah, why isn't that? My only thinking, Jason, could be that there must be some kind of like issue with book publishers, because this seems obvious to me. Yeah, I thought there were some Audible things that are in Prime that it's like I think the Kindle, you get some Kindle credits, Lending Library, right? There's like every now or and there's then. like there's a small amount like rotating group of audiobooks mm-hmm. that's in there. I think it's not. I'm a Prime person. I've never used this service, uh, so I don't know. I think I think the answer is you and you said it, Mike. Audiobooks are uh, profitable. Right, they're not cheap. They're expensive to produce, and they they and they sell, and they sell well, and it is a big part of it. Um, Amazon also doesn't have, you know, they have Prime access to some books, but again, it's a very limited number of books that you can do with the Prime reading, and then they've got that separate Kindle Unlimited, which is a larger group of books, and then there's the broad spectrum of books, and it's the same story, which is, um, I think publishers would rather get your money to buy it directly from them and pay them a lot of money to buy it. And uh, they will fight hard against being part of a, you know, rental streaming kind of model for books. And um, they, so far they have succeeded. You can also go to your local library and get audiobooks and uh, regular books for free. And some of them even uh, use like Overdrive where you can check them out digitally and listen to them and then return them. So there are some options at the mm-hmm. library, even though the options on Amazon are limited. Yeah, it, it, it was just a surprise to me. It's like, yeah, I think you can get some well, stuff here and there with, with Prime. but And it- Audible is trying to be a streaming service in a way, right? Audible's yep. entire setup is to make... You, you sign up for a monthly plan and you get credits. So it's really a purchase system, but they want you to feel like you are paying once and you can, you know, depending on your how many books you read, you can get these books and you're paying with credits. And, you know, th- that's what they're trying to make it feel like is like Netflix for, for audiobooks, even though it's not quite. Um, so that that's definitely what Audible's yeah. uh, whole but marketing like, strategy is. Like how is. we were talking about Spotify earlier, they do original content too that you can only get there by and large. Right. So they're, they're like, well, whilst it's always been that thing of like paying and you get the credits, now they are also adding a bunch more other stuff. Uh, right. And Audible has experimented with things that are like podcasts um, mm-hmm. that are Audible originals. And those I think you can listen to as a Prime customer for free. That's part of your Prime, just not the books, because those are the things that are commissioned by Audible. So they have kind of rights over those that they don't have to compensate a publisher for in mm-hmm. the same way. Nguyen asks, the reported Samsung S10 screen is being considered by many as a much better and more reasonable alternative to the notch. So if you don't know what this is, I'll I'll find some stuff and put it in the show notes. This is what is being referred to as the hole punch display, where instead of a notch, there is just a circle for the camera and that's it. Um, so Nguyen continues, I know many uh, non-techie folks who think the notch is too big or ugly, um, and it seem, but it seems like on the iPhone, 
the notch is going to be around for a while. Do you think that this move will end up being a disadvantage for Apple as more screens are shaped in different ways by different providers? You know, in the long run, maybe. In the short term, I don't think it's that big a deal. I'm sure Apple would tell you that they are more um, concerned with getting the screen to the edges as, as much as they can. And they want the advantage of the you know, that whole setup that they've got with the camera and all the sensors and the dot projector and all of that. And that that is, those features, Face ID and the rest, are worth the space. Um, I'm sure they would tell you that. I'm also sure that Apple's ultimate goal is to make that stuff as invisible as possible and that the notch is what it is now because that's as small as they can make it. So if they can make it a hole punch in the corner. I'm sure they would love to do that. But I think what they would say is that Samsung is compromising elsewhere by by minimizing it there. And that in, in, in reality, the notch isn't a big deal. And as somebody who's been using the notch for a year and a half now, it's not a big deal. But um, And I, I, I question whether there are a lot of people out there who are holding a Samsung phone and an iPhone next to each other and saying, I don't know which one, which screen looks better. That's the one I'm going to buy. Maybe there are some. I don't know. I, I think yeah. in the long run, Apple, if every other phone has uh, done away with this stuff and Apple still has a really big uh, notch on their screens, it might hurt their perception. But I feel like that is a long-term question, not a not a short-term thing. Yeah, I think there are some other parts to this as well, where it's like if we think about the notch, right? So like the notch is what it is because of Face ID. And yeah, I wonder if in the short to medium term, if like Face ID harms Apple over a fingerprint-based system, where you know it seems like everybody else is probably sticking with it. Most Android manufacturers still use uh, some kind of some kind of fingerprint processing, as well as some kind of typically more basic uh, facial recognition. But th- that is just like another element of like I don't know. Yeah, I think it's more likely that they would come up with a new Face ID approach that requires less hardware to yeah. to do it than that they would back off of Face ID. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't think Apple's backing away from Face ID, but like, I just wonder if like what the general market feels about facial recognition over fingerprint recognition. Uh, I, I don't feel like I don't understand that element yet, but I, I th- mm. think that it's like an interesting point of difference. Um, I did see today too that uh, Samsung, so they have their event in like next Wednesday on the 20th, right? Where they're going to show off the S10. Oh they boy, also get ready for heavily, some awkward presentations. Oh yeah, they are heavily teasing uh, their foldable display. Oh sure. So I don't know if they're just going to show it or if they're going to actually have it for sale, right? Or if it's going to be a tease, but I'm really intrigued to see what that's going to look like. Because uh, we've been talking about those foldables. All right, mm-hmm. our next question comes from Eric. What do you use to keep your screens on your devices clean? Uh, I find that the iPad Pro in particular is incredibly good at collecting a large amount of finger grease. I use my the sleeve of my hoodie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. That's the, it. The only other thing that I will use, because I'm a glasses wearer, is like the microfiber cloths that you use to clean uh, like eyeglasses. They're the sure. only other things. I don't use any kind of like screen cleaning solution or anything like that yeah i don't do anything like that 
have a little spray bottle that actually came with my glasses that my eye doctor gave me and I of of I think it's just pure water or something, but I, I will sometimes spray that on there with a little eye glass cleaner. But generally, and that's usually if I'm like taking a picture of it for an article. Sure. But generally, yeah. I'm I'm just pulling up my hoodie sleeve and rubbing it. That's about it. Because mm-hmm. I just feel like that they these things get so dirty, so greasy, so oily, so fast. Any kind of like involved cleaning process is just going to be frustrating because you're going to be doing it all the time. Right, because they, you could clean an iPad screen in ten minutes. It's gonna have fingerprints all over it again. That's just how it goes. Yep. Chris asks, "Do we have any thoughts on when or if an Apple TV dongle will be likely to come out?" Uh, to uh, Chris just got a new TV and doesn't want to spend one hundred and eighty dollars for an Apple TV four K right now. Well, the report about this was that Apple was considering it, not even that they were designing it. So I, th- yeah. I think it would likely not come out for a long time. I think the thing to watch for is to see if. Um, AirPlay or um, Apple, you know, access to Apple's TV and movie library gets added at some point to a Roku or Amazon products, because then you could go that direction um, and just see. But I think it's an open question about Apple, whether Apple will ever do a stick kind of product for mm-hmm. Apple TV. Um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't hold my breath for it because there are no legitimate rumors that it's actually happening. Yeah, there could at least be some pricing change for the Apple TV along with the streaming service. Like that. Yeah, that but could it's also it's never going to be the the price of an Amazon no, or no. Roku, right? But I would say that like if you are able to wait on buying an Apple TV, like it's not massively important to you right now. Um, you know, I really, really believe there will be an event in the spring uh and if they're going to do anything they're going to do it then right like if 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 any changes to the apple tv in models or pricing is going to happen within the next six to twelve months it will happen when they announce the tv service would be my expectation at least Mm. um but yeah but we'll see so yeah if this is this is you know we'll give the advice that we always give when it feels like that there's something looming and if you're able to hold off then you should and right now, of everything in Apple world that is looming, like if anything's going to occur before WWDC, it's the TV streaming service. And so then that would be the most logical time for any hardware that goes along with it. So if you can wait, wait. And finally today, Jared asks, Jason, what are the rules for Apple review units? I hear people talking about how some keep them for a long time, some turn them right back right away can it be used as a personal device some inside baseball here today yeah and i don't know how much i don't think i'm under any restrictions so basically the rules are complicated um (laughs) there are you get units well different models are different uh the ios devices have different timing than Macs. um sometimes the loan periods are long and I think to myself, well, I don't want to keep this thing that long, <laughs> right? And I'll send them back. Uh, so it can really vary. I do have, uh, like, Max, they always want back within a very short period of time. So I had, you know, I had an, a MacBook Air for a while, I had a MacBook for a while. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I'd really like to have one so that I can write about the, t- like, uh, have a MacBook Pro so I can write about the Touch Bar or have a, have a, uh, MacBook Air so I can write about Touch ID. And 
Uh, but they want a back and I don't want to buy one. So I just send them back and I'm like, oh, oh well, I bought, I bought Lauren a, uh, a MacBook Air. So we actually have a MacBook and a MacBook Air in the house right now uh, in use, which is one of those funny things where as somebody who writes about this, it's like, well, you can use this and that'll be great. And also it'll be around in case I need to write something about it, which is, it pulls double duty a little bit in this house. Um, iOS devices are a little bit different. Uh, you can... There's a short loan period, and then you can ask for an extended loan, which tends to be for a, a longer period of time. They still want them back eventually, but um, sometimes I will take advantage of that because I want to have a product around um, for reference, especially like the next time that product gets updated. So um, I have a, I think I have, do I have a seven and an eight? I, I have some, I have some older iPhones in a drawer um, that I pull out when it's the new iPhone comes out and I want to take a picture of all the different models or I want to compare the cameras or stuff like that. Um, I also save almost every phone that I buy and every iPad that I buy for that same reason, which is I want to have some old models around that I can compare. Um, Can it be used as a personal device? Well, while you've got it, you can, although, um, you know, don't give it to a friend because Apple will want it back. I sent them a box of stuff in December uh, full of of, uh, different phones and iPads and stuff that were on the extended loan. It's still a loan. They still want it back. So it's complicated and kind of boring, but it it is basically, uh, you know, you get to keep them for a while. I I still have the 10R because I don't have a 10R in my family and they, they, uh, I reached the end of the loan period and I said, can I extend on that one? Cause I don't have one. And if accessories come out for it, uh, you know, or if I want to take some pictures comparing it to the, the 10S, I want to have one around. And it's also well in their rights to say, we no, we really need it back. And sometimes they're like, yeah, okay, hang on to that. And so I've got it in its box in a drawer where it sits. Um, and occasionally I'll take it out and pop my SIM card in it and use it for a couple of days. So it's, uh, it's boring and complicated, but it is one of those things that is more of a challenge for me now because I can't buy every product, right? I can't afford to buy every product I buy. I still buy a bunch of stuff. Like I got a loan on the, on, on like product a, and then I had to buy product B like, because they, they're like, we like when they do iPads, they don't give you both sizes to review. They give you one size to review. And then I buy the other one. And then I end up with having bought two iPads instead of one, because I need to have both. And I do that sometimes, but I can't afford at Macworld. We bought everything. Um, and now I can't afford to buy everything. So sometimes there are holes in my collection. Like I don't have a touch bar Mac in my house right now. And uh, sometimes I've got some review units that are extended and sometimes it is stuff that I've bought and put into use in our household that is there for both personal use and also sort of on call in case I need to run a a speed test on it or Mm -hmm. take a picture of it or something like that. All right, if you would like to send in a question to be answered at the end of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade. And uh, we'll try to get to as many of them as we can. We've got a good list building up for future episodes as well. So please keep sending them in. Hashtag AskUpgrade to do that. If you want to find our show notes for today's episode, relay.fm slash upgrade slash 232 is the place to go. Or they should be in your podcast app of choice. But if they're not, they're always on our website. You can find Jason online in a bunch of places. He's on Twitter. He's at Jasonel. He's Jasonel on Instagram as well. If you want to see Jason's pictures of his wonderful animals, which uh, get posted yep. every now Dogs, and then. Dogs, cats, sporting events, mm-hmm. uh, occasionally food. Yeah. 
all the great things. Uh, you can find Jason at theincomparable.com, where Jason is a host of many wonderful shows about uh, beautiful pop culture things. But Jason also hosts many shows here at Relay FM as well, like I do. You can go to relay.fm slash shows to find this and many more podcasts about technology and the, the worlds that connect to that. Uh, you can also find Jason's work at sixcolors.com as well. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors this week, Hollow, Pingdom, and the wonderful people at ExpressVPN. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. <laughs>